In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, amen. I can only imagine what was going on through the mind of this fellow Simon, the Pharisee, um, as he's sitting with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, let me tell you a story. And he tells him a story about a creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other only owed 50. A denarii was about a, a, a day's wages um, of, a, of a labor, you know. So, you know, what's minimum wage? Oh, a day labor here probably makes closer to 20 an hour, actually, right? And then if they work, say, for eight hours, so that's like $160. Call it $200, right? So that's like a day's worth of wages, right? So a denarii... Um, a denarii was a day, so, so one owed 500 times 200, I don't know, you do the math, 10,000. The other one owed 50, okay? Uh, oh, um, so a tenth of that, a thousand. And uh, he forgives them both. And then Jesus tells him, I have a question for you about this story. Now, he then he asks him, which of them will love him more? We may, you may or may not have heard this gospel like a bunch of times before, and so you might have never stopped to wonder. I actually never stopped to wonder until I was thinking this time around. What an odd question. This was a question about business. This was a question about debts and money. This is a question about finances. What does love have anything to do with it? And I think that's kind of the attitude that I have towards a lot of things in life. I've got little boxes, and some things live in little boxes. And, you know, our, our, our meal planning and our nutrition as a family, that lives in one little box. And our finances, that lives in another little box. And my spiritual life, that lives in another little box. And, you know, my work and so on. And this and all, I've got all these little boxes, right? And for the most part, they don't, there isn't too much communication, although they, they do affect each other. But then Jesus is asking him, this, telling him a story about finances, a creditor, two debtors, and so on. And he says to him, he forgives them both. Which of them will love him more? What? What does love have anything to do with it? Love is something that you have with people that you have a personal relationship with. This was about business. This is, you don't... You know, everybody knows you don't, don't fall in love with your investments. If you make an investment and the purpose of it is an investment, don't fall in love with it because there will come a time to sell. And if you're in love with it, you'll miss the boat, right? Everybody knows that. What does love have anything to do with it? Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me, love is in all of the little boxes because I am in all of the little boxes. And then he tells, he tells him, he explains to him, he says to him that whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Usually when we talk about this parable, we spend, this story, we spend a lot of time talking about the woman. And she is really a magnificent character in scripture. And we don't know her name. Um, some people have thought she may be Mary Magdalene or maybe one of the other Marys. We're not so sure, right? We know that, we know that she was from the shady parts of town because the Simon the Pharisee and, and in another gospel called Simon the leper maybe is the same person. Maybe they're two different people. Maybe this happened more than once. 
We don't know, right? It says, uh, you know, he thinks to himself, like, how can he let this kind of woman touch him? So this kind of woman. So must have been, you know, she must have been, I don't know, a woman of the night, or we don't really know. But anyways, there was some kind of negative cloud, black cloud overshadowing her. But that doesn't seem to bother Jesus. But I want to focus with you on what Jesus says to, to Simon, what he says to him. He says to him, see, if you've been forgiven little, you will love little. So it's actually to my best interest to see myself as a person who's been forgiven much. Because that will nurture love in my heart to the forgiver, the person who has forgiven me. And this ties in very beautifully with all of the other readings, but specifically with the Pauline. In the Pauline, where St. Paul was talking about his sufferings, he says something really beautiful. He says that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. He says, God is the God of all comfort. And one of the reasons why he allows us to have some trials and tribulations and difficulties in life is so that we can receive true, genuine comfort from him. And then, when other people are suffering... We can take that comfort with which he has comforted us and we can comfort other people with it. You see, people have a really good phony meter. People can tell whether you're being genuine or not. Or sometimes I'm being genuine, but I'm, I'm not talking about something I know. People can sense it. They can sense something's off. They can sense something's not right. I tell you the truth, when I go to funerals or I visit people in the hospital or other people who are in trouble, if I try to share anything with them that is not from my own personal suffering, it's not the comfort with which God has comforted me. It's something nice I read in a book. It's something, but it's, it's not something which has affected me. It doesn't come from the same place. It's very shallow. It's, it's very, it has, it has no depth. It doesn't, it doesn't have an undertone of, hey, I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea how much it hurts you. But man, I was hurt really bad in the past. And this, this comforted me. This gave me comfort. This, what I'm sharing with you, is like, is like precious gold to me. Because when I was on the brink, when I was about to fall off the edge, this is what reeled me back in. And so this is really precious. And guess what? I'm going to share it with you. And you and I may not use all of those words when we're comforting somebody or when we're sharing in other people's sufferings, but it certainly comes, it certainly comes in the tone of how we speak. One sufferer with another as opposed to... Uh, Somebody talking, you know, from some high ground, from some snooty high ground, like, my life is perfect and too bad, so sad, I'm so sorry for you, right? 
It changes everything. It changes everything. And so, look for the comfort of God. God is telling me, and St. Paul is telling us, look for the comfort of God because it's going to be so salvific to me in my own suffering, but also to many others. Try to name your suffering. Try to put a name on it. Many, many times I just, I just feel rotten, but I don't know why. Try to put a name on it. Why do I feel rotten? Do I feel lonely? Do I feel embarrassed? Do I feel ashamed? Do I feel insecure? Do I Try to put a name on it. And then ask God, what, Lord, what, what would you have me do with this? But that's not the best part of what St. Paul said. The best part of what St. Paul said is what I shared with you as an introduction to the readings, or at least it's the best, the best part for me. He says this. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant of what happened to us in Asia. Look, man, what happened to us in Asia, man, you got to know. You got to know this, he says. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. He said, despair is loss of hope. We, I, we lost hope in life. We were burdened above measure. We lost all strength. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. The sentence of death wasn't coming from outside of ourselves. It was coming from inside us. Inside us, we were saying, you ought to die. The world would be better without you. It would be a happier place without you. Everywhere you go, Paul, you cause problems. Every church you enter gets persecuted. You're, you're, you're a roaring mess. The kingdom of heaven would be so much further without you. All of these thoughts, I'm sure you've heard these thoughts. Maybe, maybe not. But maybe you have heard these thoughts in your own voice, in your own context. St. Paul is saying, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why did God allow all of this? St. Paul was wealthy. Saul of Tarsus, before his conversion. He was wealthy. He was, had renown. He was like one of the most eminent Pharisees. He could have easily been on track to be high priest. This guy was not lacking or missing anything in life. Except the truth. And embracing the truth... He lost everything. And in the epistle to the Philippians, he says, and we, he gives his CV, he says, a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, and he says, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. He gives us his credentials. And then he says, but I counted this all as rubbish for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why? Why St. Paul? He didn't only lose, like he didn't only give away all of his credentials that were really in the world of Judaism. And when he re rejected that for Christ, he rejected all of his credentials. Not only that, he says somewhere else, we became the off-scouring of the earth. You know, like when you have a, a pan, you, you've, I don't know, you, you cooked something on the stove top, right? And it, it got burnt to the bottom of the pan, right? And then, and then you're scraping the bottom of the pan and then you're scouring it with a scouring brush, right? And then all this crap comes off, right? And then, what do you do with that? You, like, throw it out. He says, we are the off-scouring of the earth, St. Paul says. He went from, he became, right? Why? Why does God, 
Why did God allow you to suffer so much, St. Paul? He says here that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. See, I can't say that I trust in a God who raises the dead until I myself have looked death face to face, eye to eye. There's a beautiful passage, which you may or may not have recognized in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, talking about the faith of Abraham. And it says, St. Paul is making an argument that Abraham, 2,000 years before Jesus in the Old Testament, believed in a resurrection from the dead. Why? Because God promised him to give him an inheritance, people to inherit him, an heir, through Isaac, not through anybody. He thought maybe through Ishmael, maybe through, no, not through anybody, but through Isaac. And then God told him, take him up on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. So, if God has promised to give me an heir through Isaac, and God has commanded me to kill Isaac, then there's only one possibility that I, I will be obedient, I will kill Isaac, but somehow I'm gonna, he's going he's gonna to inherit me. Well, you have to be alive to inherit. Abraham looked death in the face and believed that it wasn't the end, that it was not the end. And St. Paul says, all this stuff has happened to us, that we could look death in the face and believe and hope that it's not the end, that there is a resurrection from the dead. Really, St. Paul? Yes. He goes on to say that we may not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, like St. Paul's saying, like, and it's not over yet. And I bet you, St. Paul's, Paul's saying, I bet you I haven't seen the worst of it yet. I bet you there's more coming. God wants us to believe in Him, not to believe in ourselves. And it's so hard. We find it so hard. So God gives us things that need a solution that we don't have the solution for. You see, like, if I'm supposed to take this from here and put it here, I'm not going to fast and pray and, and weep and mourn and, you know, call my friends to have a prayer meeting and call us to fast and whatever so that I could pick this up from over here and put it there. If I can do it, I'll just do it, right? Um, I was listening to a sermon once and the guy who was preaching the sermon says, uh, I want to give you an assignment, okay? Uh, you know, I'd like it uh, done in a week, you know, submitted in uh, PDF, double-spaced, maximum, etc., right? This is your assignment. I want you to go to your local cemetery and bring somebody back from the dead. You got a week. Go, Right? I can't do that. What would you do? What would you do if you were given that assignment? Right? I would probably 
get the people that I know who know how to pray the best. And I would take them and I would tell them, I've been asked to do something I can't do. I only know one place in town. I only know one person who can do this. And his name is God. So let's ask him to do it because nobody else can do this. So St. Paul is saying, we were given that which was above measure. It was, it was more than we could handle. It was like, it's intentional that God gave us more than what we could handle because we weren't meant to handle it on our own. We were meant to handle it with Him. And He raises the dead. He can solve this. And we weren't meant to handle it alone, St. Paul says. Who else were we meant to handle it with? God, who else, right? He says, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. He says this, he says, look, God wants you to come and pray along with us. God wants you to be witnesses to how most certainly we were dead. Like we were dead meat, like we were so dead meat. We want, we want, God wants all of you to come and be witnesses of how hopeless our situation was. And pray for us so that when God comes through, there will be many people to glorify God. And we see this reflected in the Acts. In the Acts, there was this story about this lady, Tabitha or Dorcas, beautiful, lovely lady in Joppa. And uh, she was so nice, so good. She cared for people. She did all kinds of nice things for people. And then she got sick and died. And as she was getting sick, they called to St. Peter. It's kind of like a Lazarus story. They called to Jesus. And, come, come, quick, quick. They called to Peter. Come, come, quick, quick. By the time Peter gets there, guess what? She's passed. They take her upstairs where they had laid, they take him upstairs where they had laid her and he prays for her and she comes back from the dead. But get this, nobody glorified Peter. Nobody said, bravo, Peter, well done. Nobody said that. Why? Because there ain't nobody named Peter that I've ever heard of that can raise dead people. If you can bring somebody back from the dead, your name is God Almighty, not Peter. It's not about us. It's about Him. Every little box in my life is about Him. And so when I magnify the sufferings in my life, in my own eyes, I'm not, look, I'm not saying ask for more. Most of us have more than enough, right? But when I, when, I, when I see them as great, I see God who overcomes them as greater. When I see my sin as great before God, I see that His forgiveness is greater. When I see my negligence before God as great, I see His patience and His mercy with me as greater. When I see the impossibility of my situation, I look to the one who does the impossible. I look to the one who can raise the dead and I give him 
glory for what he's done and what he's still about to do in my life and yours. Glory be to God forever and ever. Man, I have sinned. Forgive me. My fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, please pray for me.